Hello and welcome to Where's the Exit, the podcast for tech entrepreneurs who are looking to leverage their IP to maximize their exit valuation. Today, I'm joined by Angela Browning. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thanks, Steve. Um, and for people, the listeners that don't really um, know anything about you yet, um, could you just give a quick sort of summary of your background, uh, what you're doing now, what you got you to that place and uh, what you're up to, basically? Of course. So in terms of my background, I joined Arthur Anderson and then PricewaterhouseCoopers back in the day. Uh, I'm a qualified chartered accountant, chartered tax advisor, um, but very quickly realised that my passion was in understanding businesses, their intellectual property, and and importantly, their research and development that contributes to that IP. Uh, And so for, gosh, 15 years, I've I've almost exclusively advised and and now only advise on R&D claims and patent box. And that gives me a chance to um, work with all sorts of businesses, but spend some time delving into some detail, uh, which, uh, yeah, that's what I really enjoy. Um, so uh, four years ago, I set up my own practice. I, I left PricewaterhouseCoopers yeah. where I had sort of led teams nationally and done this sort of for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that really gave me a chance to work with some different businesses, perhaps businesses that wouldn't naturally afford yeah. um, that sort of level of, of fee, frankly. Um so yeah, uh, three, four years on, uh, really enjoying it. Um, lovely work-life balance and some fantastic clients right through from the teeny tiny startups and just making sure they do things right um, up to the multinationals that um, yeah. have a whole different challenge. <laughs> and the name of your business is Bright R&D, is that, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. And you're spe- and, um, I'm interested in that specialisation because you, on your website, it's very clear, you, you know, your R&D tax credits and patent box, as well as some sort of strategic advice that we might get into. But is, in terms of that specialisation, do, do you find that you benefit or clients benefit or what, what's the benefit of having a specialist in this area, I guess, rather than just, I say just an accountant, but just an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you, you said it. <laughs> So I I think in the olden days when R&D claims first came about, uh, Mm. the the market was very much dominated by accountants and the technology was less important. And that has flipped on its head in terms of uh, most of the questioning by the revenue. If you get a claim inquired into, they will always start with wanting to decide whether you meet the qualifying definitions. Wow. And so you need that expertise and that experience. You need to be all over the guidelines um, and what qualifies and what doesn't. Uh, it, it helps if you're involved in consultative committees and forums as well with the revenue, because sure. there is an evolution of, of change. And we've seen yeah. that hugely on software claims recently, whereby, you know, 10 years ago, if you put in an ERP system, you'd qualify almost. Um, whereas right. today it's a really high bar. Uh, you need to be making an overall answer technologically okay. um so i think so i think so sorry to talk across you but that's an interesting point so so you you find that because you're a specialist you're sort of closer to hmrc uh, not in a way that obviously is sort of gaining any unfair advantage or anything like that but you're sort of able to see the evolution of the way that they're handling these things because it's not static it's definitely not static it's definitely subjective depending on the inspector you're dealing with but the the trends and the messaging from the senior team influences the direction of travel for the whole so um those insights um and sharing those insights um and i will be the first to um put out something if there's a case a tax case and and absolutely support everything the revenue are doing um if i agree with what they're doing and if i don't you know i don't so my my views are my own um <laughs> and and I guess they they struggle um, sometimes to get the communication out, particularly when you're looking at small, medium sized businesses that don't have time to um, follow uh, legislation guidance yeah. and all the rest of it. They, they just need the snapshots. Uh, so it's a yeah, yeah it, it's been an interesting time. And I think um, the biggest change for me is in the olden days, R and D claims were quite boring. Um, if you look over the last five years or so, there yeah. are now prison sentences, arrests, um, people, advisors, and companies who've done the wrong thing. Wow. And this is this is 
naughtiness beyond you know sort of okay yeah. this is fraud not just yeah. getting your numbers wrong <laughs> good <I'm glad. laughs> but the, the dial has changed a little bit um, yeah and it yeah. just i think it just reinforces that to get your claim right first time to do a reasonable job um not to be careless and and assume that yeah whoever you know your advisor is that you know you still have to take responsibility for the end product um, and ask the right questions and, and trust the advice that you're getting. Yeah. And and you're you're an accountant, as you just said, with like some serious experience, actually, as it turns out. You were very modest in your um little sort of intro of yourself. Um, but is it is it necessary for the person advising or is it advisable for the person advising you to be a chartered accountant or can you get this advice elsewhere? I mean, I, and if you're not comfortable answering the question, I, that's just one that popped into my head. So if you're not, don't don't worry about it. If you're not comfortable. So uh, if I think about the mistakes that I've seen made, yeah. um, if you if you have a, a small, straightforward company, all of your costs are through, through your P and L, your records yeah. are, are strong. You're probably going to be okay. Uh, yeah, okay. But but um, there are there are things. Uh, so for example, if you capitalise some of your cost as either yeah. a tangible or an intangible asset, and it's an accounting yeah. concept. But if you capitalise your cost, that has an effect on your claim. And an advisor without an accounting background would possibly miss that. Um, sure. So okay. there, there are things that um, you could get caught out inadvertently. And then a real big uh, problem area that I've seen recently is a company who is clearly a small, medium-sized enterprise, yeah. but they've had a grant or they've had grant funding and they've still claimed the SME relief so as a small company. But of course, you can't right. benefit from that if you've had grant funding um, that's a notified right. state aid at the same time. And, and that's a real, um, you know, I've seen a, I'm sorting out a mess for somebody at the moment on that. And um, yeah. because they got it wrong and because they've had an inquiry, they've had to spend a lot of time digging through the weeds of invoices to prove um, you know, the, the claim that we now want to refile. Right. But if they'd have got it right first time, they wouldn't have gone through that pain. And I understand why they did it, because they costs were tight and they felt that they could do it themselves following the guidance. Yeah, um, yeah. And if it hadn't have been for the grant funding, they would have been absolutely fine. Right, but it's things like that. And, and later, I want to talk about those sort of common mistakes and try and get a few of those out in the open. Apart from anything else, not not just to sort of... to, to make sure people avoid them themselves but just to highlight the importance of getting really good advice on this and how it can improve improve your chances so yes. but before that before that let's um start at the beginning well the beginning for me anyway which is um so what is it what if we're talking about r&d tax credits first let's do that not not the patent box we'll come to the patent box um hopefully if we have time um but r&d tax relief for smes what is it and how does it work? okay so it it's a government blessed regime. It is mm -hmm. open to all companies that qualify. Uh, you need to be doing research and develop or development that leads to an advance um, in science or technology. So you need right. to be able to point to the the overall advance that you're seeking. Uh, and if that advance okay. is really really easy for you to achieve, it's probably not R and D. But if you're facing uncertainties, te technical, technological, scientific uncertainties then there's a possibility you'll meet the test. Uh, and okay. that's that's a really interesting conversation to have. Uh, yeah. But it, And it's just about you know, the, the technical person in the business being able to explain what you're doing, why it's unique, and why it's particularly challenging. And that definition, is that sort of... Because I've heard before of people putting all sorts of things through as R&D in the past. And are they in jail now? Or, or is it sort of... <laughs> 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 or is it is it that that's one of those evolutions is it something that's kind of you know that there's been clamped down on by hmrc it, it's an evolution and um, claims yeah. are made under self-assessment so you put your claim in and it's repaid okay. and so there will be many claims that have gone through that perhaps shouldn't and are yeah. not picked up but the revenue have doubled the size of their team and they right. are now um they've, they've some new tactics are being deployed um they've sent uh what, nudge letters so a, a letter saying we see you've made a claim we don't think you should do you want to withdraw it if so now's the time um right okay the the, the, the escalation <laughs> Sounds on that quite threatening <laughs> <isn't it>? yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, yes, panicked, panicked some people, but it's, you know, yeah. an, an are you sure letter. Yeah, the, sure. The, the further escalation that I've seen um, quite recently is a letter that says, we uh, we think your R&D claim is fraudulent, therefore we've withdrawn it. Um, if you disagree with this, then write to us and it's issued by a fraud um, investigation unit. So wow. pretty heavy letter to get. Um, yeah. And it's uh, and that, that the, the suggestion in the letter is that that is by process of some red flags. So something okay. in the claim doesn't stack up um, and therefore you, you've been put on the naughty list. Right. Uh, okay. And then you get sort of permutations of that. So th- those are the sort of um, approaches being taken. Uh, yeah. a- and sometimes that can be because of a cost anomaly. So the, the revenue might have spotted that there wasn't cost in the company of the magnitude that's being claimed, for example. Um, okay. It's, uh, and or it's a problem with the R and D that they just don't right. think you are doing R and D that qualifies. you don't qualify. And you, right, okay, yeah. so so that's the first. So the first thing is then you obviously, as the name would suggest, you need to be doing R and D. But the definition of that seems to have tightened up. Yes, it has more yes. recently, and it's <laughs> and it's a higher bar yeah. now. And I probably should answer your original question about what it is. So if you're doing qualifying R&D, you get a tax credit and that's between 25 and 33 percent of the spend. So if you if you spend um, 10,000 pounds on on staff that are doing R&D in your business, um, then you'd get um, a two and a half thousand pound credit back um, that's repayable in cash. Um, and that can be higher if you've got tax losses. But that's okay. This is where it starts to get complicated, isn't it? And, it's, and it is and it is quite complicated, I think, isn't it? When you start getting into the fine detail of sort of actually what it is. If you don't I mean, do I, it I every find day. tax and yeah. accounting complicated anyway, but um, but that's just me. Yeah, I think you can make it quite simple. And yeah, if, you, okay. if you understand the business and they've got reasonable accounting records, um, then it's quite quite a simple and straightforward job. And actually, once you've made claims for a year or two, I think it's quite nice to, you know, for the company to have seen how the claim is made, to understand the calculation. Yeah. And at that point, if they want to take it in-house and prepare it and then get us, you know, a, a high level review, a sense check to make sure nothing's changed. OK, that probably works better than a company trying to do it on their own to begin with and perhaps falling into the pitfalls. Yeah. So there's some upskilling required there and just sort of some basic learning that allows them to do the legwork and then rely on someone like yourself to sort of to just check it over make sure nobody's going to jail (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) yes um okay so can we can we run through those numbers some numbers again um because a tax credit is that sort of so if let's imagine i spent um 100 just to make it easy a hundred thousand pounds on um that was my r&d tax that was my r&d spend right is that is that the right number? That's what I'm after. The amount that I spent in order to do the R and D is that the number that we're after? Yes, correct. Okay, okay. So we get to that number, and the R and D qualifies, and so I managed to get the credit. So what do I actually get back on that? So I uh, at the lowest point twenty um, on your hundred thousand twenty five thousand. Um, if you surrender tax losses, that increases to thirty three thousand. Right. So I would actually get back. Into yeah. my business, twenty-five to thirty-three grand of yes. the hundred grand that I spent, and it either saves you tax if you're tax paying, or if not, then you can receive the cash back. So for a startup SME with losses, then that would be cash in your pocket to fund future R and D. Yeah. So that's why do they call it a tax credit then? Because that just sounds like a credit. That just, I mean, why why does tax come, why does the word tax come into it? I'm genuinely interested now. I'm, <laughs> I'm showing my ignorance, but I am genuinely interested. So um, the regime was set up as part of a tax incentive. So it's administered right. through the tax system. It's always okay. been um, an adjustment through the tax line. And, and so okay. it has that sort of association. Um, yeah. And the way that it is administered is um, you would always offset it against tax first, um, and then okay. you know, sort of if not, you get the repayment. Okay, yeah, I, I suppose because my background is patent work, and I've sort of had some exposure to the patent regime, and I guess 
I assumed because R&D tax credits had the word tax in the name that it was some kind of discount on your tax, but it sounds like it's not. It's just sort of you spent this amount of money here, here's some back, which yes. seems very straightforward. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I'm simplifying it here slightly. Yeah, no, um, I'm pleased you are. Yeah, I'm pleased you are. <laughs> there are uh, and the regime has tightened in the last couple of years to make sure that you would only get that cash back if you are paying UK PAYE and NIC. So, right. and this is as a result of a fraud that happened um, in the olden days, if you, you could have all your R&D overseas and then sort of channel it through a UK legal entity. Right. Okay. And that doesn't help the UK UK jobs and it, so it doesn't serve its purpose. So there's an additional requirement to make sure that if you're um, generating a repayment and requesting a repayment, that it, you're, you've got a POIE and NIC liability here in the UK. So you are employing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much um, experience you've got of this, this type of legislation being introduced in the past, but is that quite, it sounds to me like it's, um, I can see a process here where government comes up with an idea and they sort of say, here's this idea, HMRC, implement it. And they do. And then lots of clever people find ways of sort of, um, I don't want to say abusing it, but use it, misusing, perhaps maybe abusing in some cases. Um, and then there's a refinement process where we finally sort of manage some years later to get to a um, an implementation of that policy that actually achieves what you wanted. That's exactly what happens. And that's why tax right. legislation has got so complex, because yeah. you, you start with a simple set of rules, people find loopholes, so those yeah. rules become more and more complicated, yeah. which is, is a shame and it's an unfortunate consequence. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a different conversation, I guess, but it's I think the tax system is often used as a way for sort of to for social and economic engineering, which probably is a, isn't a good tool for, but again... I mean, you would have a much better uh, uh, idea of that than me, and I'm not going to venture down that road. It's definitely a conversation for a different time, maybe over a beer, not not in a podcast. But yeah. yeah. So, so we've got so we've got R and D, and if you're doing R and D, which is quite high high bar, it seems now, and it's interesting that it's um, only science and engineering. That's so that's part of, um, I guess, the government wanting to to focus on those types of businesses because they think they're best for UK PLC. Is that the the, the distinction I would make is it needs to be in a field of science or technology. So that includes right. software, computer science. It okay. is broad, but what it clearly excludes is anything social science or HR. Or, yeah. um, maths was historically excluded, and that's going to come in as a qualifying area next year. Right, um, OK. Which is yeah, <laughs> minority sport anyway, I would suggest. <laughs> but, um, but something something substantial and, and I guess that yeah. R&D definition quite well aligns um, globally as well with other regimes um, yeah so they all sort of stem from the same core place and I guess to be fair when most people think about R&D that is what they think about first and it was always a bit of a stretch of the term when people started including things that were more social science and more sort of HR and that type of thing. Yes, and I, I think the um, the blurring of the lines is around perhaps what I'd call tweaking or bug fixing or yeah. modifications that don't really advance technology or science. And that's yeah. where the, the leakage, I think, um, from the regime has come. Okay, so... Oh, sorry, go on. You were going to say something. I, I had a call with one of the um, senior people in the revenue and he, he yeah. said, Angela, you won't believe it. I'm going out to talk to a, a Barbie doll equivalent this afternoon to tell them why they're not doing R&D. <laughs> yeah, but this is the thing, though. I mean, I bet they genuinely feel like they, they, they probably are. I bet they, yeah. they are, but they're not. They, they call them the having a laugh claims. <laughs> You, you do see all sorts. I bet you do. I bet you do. Yes. Um, so if there's sort of like, um, so there's two types of, I mean, I can imagine anyway, two types of um, tech SME startup out there that's kind of, one is one that for, for whom is listening to this and it's news and they're like, well, I never knew I was I was able to, to do that and that it would be, um, that it would work like that. And then there are others that are kind of doing it already, but I mean, we spoke about this just before we started recording, but my experience of that is that lots of people feel like whenever you talk about R&D tax credits, and I do with with um, clients of mine because it's a natural 
thing to talk about because they're, if they're filing patents and they're generating actual property, then obviously there's R&D uh, going on, or at least they think there is. I haven't got any Barbie doll equivalents as, as clients. So, um, <laughs> but they always say, oh yeah, we've got that sorted. Um, but then quite often I talk to pe- other people, people in in that are closer to it, like yourself, and and they the story that they tell is that actually people who feel like they've got it sorted quite often haven't got it sorted. So there's, so that brings me back to what I was saying, which is there's two types of business out there. One that's kind of completely new new to this and another that is sort of thinks they've got it sorted, but might sort of having listened to this sort of think, well, actually, have we got it sorted? So what should each of those two different, I mean, start with the startup first so that, that somebody new to it, what should they be looking for? I mean, I guess R&D is what we've already talked about, but what should they be looking for in their own business is there anything they can do in their own business to make sure that their claim feels strong before they come to you um how should they approach getting this so for a startup that is i guess new new in business new in the sector they won't make a claim until after they've completed their first uh, financial year end so you you always sort of make the claim aligned to your accounts but for that first year to be, I guess, for them to understand the costs that qualify and the activities that qualify and to keep yeah. some very rough notes about you know, what, what is the R&D they're working on, uh, what are the projects that they should be thinking about uh, on a real-time basis so that when you come to the end of the year, you've got something as a starting point. Uh, and that doesn't have to be much, but imagine right. you're able to say, well, you know, th- there's five projects that may, may qualify. Th- these are the five. Let's talk about them. And th- this is the cost uh, or, you know, to have a feel for the types of cost. And importantly, to have made a decision about are they going for grant funding and do they understand the impact and the be- pros and yeah. cons of going for grants and or R&D? Uh, and, and probably you would choose to go for, for a grant. Typically, you get a better return, a better value. Um, okay. Uh, and and you can claim a grant and also large company relief. So a 10% credit that's open to all. Um, that that okay. doesn't matter whether you've had a grant or not. Uh, so there's a there's a un- understanding the regime, taking a few notes, consciously deciding to go for grant funding and understanding the impact on your R&D claim. But other than that, I think, um, you know, so there's a lot to think about as a new startup business. And I wouldn't yeah. want to spend a lot of time on an R&D credit that's going to come 12 months later. Yeah. OK. Um, so I want to come back to that grant thing. And because that's something that is news to me and might be news to others um, as well, I, I guess, and sort of understanding that would be really good. But that already, that's really useful. So the first thing is sort of understanding the regime. That's a, sort of like, that could be quite a big hurdle if I put myself in, in their shoes, sort of trying to understand what it is that they've they've got to do. Is it worth talking to somebody like, like you right at the beginning, like that, just to get some pointers? I think any of the R&D advisors would spend yeah. an hour on the phone uh, explaining a little bit more in the context of your business, uh, I had a, um, a startup I was talking to this morning that I probably spoke to the first time about 18 months ago. And yeah. we we decided that it was likely that they would qualify. We yeah. played around with some really simple numbers just so they understood how it would work and the value it could be. Huh. And, and now they've got two periods of account that they could claim for. They've had grant funding. That was their choice and a good decision for them. And so yeah. we're now doing two years claims um, and, and we have not needed to, you know, there's been no engagement letter until this point. Um, okay. But to then do the two years together, the second year is a much larger claim than the first. So there's a synergy of doing two years as one. We'll write okay. it all up nicely. We'll use the grant documentation a little bit and the cost information. So there's a synergy there in terms of I'm not asking for, for additional information. I'm using what, what already yep. exists. Um, so that that works really well. For, uh, it's you know it's yeah. nice nice to follow the journey as well. Uh, yeah, of and, course. And yeah. see that you know the plans that they talked about have you know started to come to fruition. Yeah, great. And, but I would um, say really light touch, and you know sort of um, any advisor, any good advisor would invest a bit of time just to to help that early startup. And whilst they've been in that intervening, I think you said you spoke to them eighteen months ago. And have you spoken to them a few times along along the journey, or is, have they been keeping this these notes and sort of you know? And have they been? Is it been a sort of a, a dialogue between the two of you over that time? 
it's been occasional touch points um, okay. where a contract opportunity has come up. So they just want to understand, is this, you know, is there an impact? Is there an implication? Um, gotcha. Very, very easy yeah, sort of yes, no. Um, Recognising that the R&D credit for them isn't, is is icing on the cake. It's not the yeah. fundamental. So it yeah. shouldn't make, you know, shouldn't influence their decisions. Yes. Uh, so, you know, probably two or three calls over 18 months. Okay, so so let's so if we've got to, if we were trying to build a process then that people would want to go through in that situation, it's kind of getting some level of input from uh, an R and D advisor early on, and then maybe sort of keeping some notes about costs and projects that you're working on, things that you're doing. If you if it's agreed that probably there will be some you'll qualify, yeah, um, and maybe just there's it seems like there's some points at which. Um, startups and SMEs might trip themselves up and grants is one that's been mentioned and uh, let's do it now let's talk about that I don't, so so the grants so the grants thing how does that how does that cause a problem because most startups are looking for some kind of grant in the technology and science field there aren't many that don't sort of at least look at it um so how does it cause a problem for them so there are two scenarios. Um, yeah. If you have a grant that is regarded uh, in, in old terms of notified state aid, um, right. a pound of that state aid funding will mean that you cannot claim the small, medium-sized enterprise R&D credit because you can only have so much um, government funding of that type. So that's really clear cut. So your whole project is claimed under the large company regime instead. So you're sort of forfeiting a 25% credit for a 10% credit. But but if you've had the grant, that's still good news, hopefully. Um, so just, so I don't think, I don't think, I mean, explain that to me again. So if you, if I, so I'm a tech startup and I go out and I get a, a grant and it's like what it's, so you said a pound, if I get a pound. Yes. Just, so any amount of money at all, yeah. in grant form would mean that I can no longer claim yes. the right. Okay. And, okay. and and that even goes so far as some of the COVID loans um, and funding was regarded as state aid. Wow. And, and so if you'd had COVID support that was used for your R&D, you could potentially be kicked out of the R&D credit for small, for small medium-sized companies. Right. Okay. And, right. So, and, and this was something that was debated and discussed, and and probably an inadvertent impact. Uh, yeah. But that that is the the way the rules work, and the revenue were very clear yeah. on it. So you mean the COVID bit was an inadvertent impact, or was it? Did they always intend that grant funding would exclude people? Was that always an intention, or? So I think it comes back to EU law and and and, right. and, and fair competition, and so no okay. one enterprise being unfairly advantaged. Right. So, yeah. so we we had those rules whilst we were part of the EU, and they've now been entrenched in in British legislation, UK legislation. So yeah. you you're sort of you're trying to aim for a, a level playing field, but the rules are a bit of a blunt tool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and so hence that that worst case scenario where you've had a pound of it, you've lost out a lot elsewhere. Um, okay. The, yeah. the more likely scenario is going back to you know you spend a hundred thousand, yeah. you could you could get eighty thousand of grant funding, and then. Yeah. In which case you could still claim your large company R and D credit on the hundred thousand, okay, um, but at ten percent. Okay, rather than the twenty five to thirty three that we talked exactly. about earlier. But yes. you've got eighty grand to offset that, so yes, yeah. you you can't complain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just don't get a grant for a pound. That's a really exactly. bad idea. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Particularly. Take into, yeah, fill out the forms. Yes. <laughs> Grants are definitely more onerous in terms of the yeah. cost tracking and reporting in, and um, yeah. so yeah. so yes, you wouldn't do it for a pair. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, all right. That, 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 I think that that's really useful for anybody who's just sort of starting up. I mean, are there other sort of agreements that you've seen, and you you sort of alluded to them earlier, other than just taking on grant funding? Is there anything else that might scupper a, an R and D claim? So we've had. Um... A change, I'll call it a change because I can. The revenue argue that it's not a change. <laughs> uh, in the old in the olden days, you would claim yeah. um as an SME, providing the R&D was undertaken for your risk and reward. Yeah. And so imagine a scenario where I've got a client interested in my output, my product, 
And if okay. um, if my R and D is successful, they'll buy the product. If I fail, I, I, I'm you know it's my cost, and and I, and I okay. don't secure the client. And mm-hmm. so in the in the olden days, you would have claimed for that R and D because it's take undertaken at full risk and reward. And there's other sort of hoops to jump through, but that's the the, the simple version. Yeah. The revenue changed their guidance um, or oh, twelve over twelve months ago now to say if a client contract exists then that R&D is contracted and therefore you can't claim as an SME. Right. And is this the intention here, I guess, is to stop sort of consultant technology firms. Is that right? Claiming the R&D tax relief. Is that is that what it's about? So if I'm sort of if if I come to you to do a particular bit of R&D for me, really, I'm just outsourcing it. and what it's aimed to do is um, you get a more generous relief as a small, medium-sized enterprise because you haven't okay. got deep pockets, you haven't got yeah. a parent company supporting you, you haven't got other access to funding, so the government will provide. But the second there's a client contract and the client is paying for the R&D or funding partially the R&D, okay. you no longer qualify. Right, because the client is uh, a bigger uh, yeah. organisation or...? Uh, be- well, that- because the client's helping you and and supporting your, you know, so you're not incurring that cost on your own, and therefore you're not deserving of the relief. Well, that seems seems strange, doesn't it? Because it's kind of like that's what all businesses do. They 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 do R and D so they can sell things. That's the point, isn't it? A- and where do you draw the line on that analogy? Yeah. You know, if I'm paying mm. an advance for a car, um, am I therefore yeah. fun- funding the R and D that the the automotive business is doing? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, okay. Um, it's an area that most advisors disagree with the revenue on. The tax bodies and accountancy bodies also align with the advisors, uh, but the revenue are fighting it. And there's cases coming through the tribunal very slowly that will right, inform okay. that view. But in the meantime, the landscape has changed. And so um, I've seen quite a few cl- clients and companies affected by this and caught out. Uh, so, and let's, so is there an example? Can you give um, an, I mean, is there is there an example of how an uh, a startup or an SME might actually fall foul of this? I mean, so is it the case that if they're doing R and D and then all of a sudden they get a client or or a customer, then all of a sudden the R and D is no longer yeah. So it would I get I think it's worth thinking about it on a project by project basis. So okay. if I've if I've got a project ongoing to develop my widget and a, yeah. a, a client is interested in that widget and so signs a contract to buy it that would be the the point where i'd be caught out uh, and right. for for a, if it were me i would be very careful to ring fence my projects um so that w- okay. what is obvious what is obviously my internal r&d that i'm doing to develop my own products and my own portfolio and my own technologies is separate from R&D or a separate and distinct from R&D undertaken to fulfill a client brief or a client okay. contract. So what about advancements? So if I have widget mark one um, and that and I start to sell that, then then I'm no longer uh, entitled to the relief. But if I start to to work on widget mark two that no one's yet buying, that R&D is OK. It comes down to whether that's a separate project or the same project. OK. Okay, so but that is that is that as it sounds, which is um, if I call it project widget mark two, then <laughs> then that's enough to sort of to do the job. Or... We've ended up in a really silly place at the moment, okay. and so okay. we're fumbling our way through legislation and guidelines, hoping yeah. that common sense will prevail when the next case goes public through publicly through tribunal. Okay. At, at the moment and and i have had conversations and negotiations with the revenue and um it almost felt like that, that they had full sympathy with my client given you know <laughs> we were sort of very close to concluding a case and the guidelines changed and and even uh, even sort of and then also internal guidelines changed so the proposal right. and agreed position was then taken back off the table um oh. which just shows that this is a moving platform Um, Yes, the legislation and the law has not changed, but the guidelines and how the guidelines have have been applied have. Uh, So we'll we'll face another 12 months of a bit of a mess before hopefully we get some clarity and we can move forward. But yeah, it it comes down to a company 
either being very clear in terms of they are going to make their claim and disclose the basis that they've made it on and yeah. have that argument or they make a prudent claim that you know sort of follows the guidelines and they lose out on some value yeah but in the meantime try to ring fence projects yes. and, and uh <laughs> yeah make them look as separate as you possibly can your words steve <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to use them. I'm happy to use them. <laughs> um, okay, so can we maybe we can quickly just to finish off on R and D tax credits, unless there's anything else that you want to um, talk about, to talk about that other business, the one that is sort of is currently they think they've got it sorted, and maybe they have, right? Um, maybe it's all it's all okay. But is there anything that they could look for in terms of flags that might sort of mean that there's perhaps more they could do or perhaps they could do it in a different way or, or anything like that? So for a company that is either self-sufficient or has been with an advisor for a long time, there's always the benefit of a fresh perspective. Yeah. Um, something I typically do with my larger clients is maybe every five years uh, do a bit of a, um, a review. So I'll review cold yeah. their calculations um, or their R&D report and just make sure that there's nothing that's changed that they've missed. Yeah. And quite often that's looking for additional value, but I would also tell them if they've overclaimed or missed a, yes, you know, yeah. a kind of um, something that's not to their advantage. And that um, that nearly always identifies something. Uh, an, an example would be five or six years ago now, we, we had a change that said, well, not just your R&D that you're doing directly, um for the project sort of so the direct activity your very technical heavyweight time but also your supporting indirect activity can qualify so that broadened the right. claim to you know you, you perhaps include a project manager that you know if i took them away the rd okay. would stop uh yeah. so that th th little things like that that maybe add five ten percent of value to your claim um that sort of that sense check, that review, um, it's not urgent, it's not a must-do in a busy um, cycle, but when you've got the time, and just to make sure you're, you, you know, you've got the second pair of eyes looking at your claim, probably free yeah. of charge, to make sure that you're not missing. Yeah, fair enough. Um, anything else? I mean, I don't suppose, I, I guess if you're getting good advice, which you can't really know whether you, I, I guess it's one of those things, though, how do you know whether your advice is good? I mean, that's always the case, right? Um, with every type of advice you get um you don't know what you don't know um but there's not much else they can do other than just have it looked over with a fresh pair of eyes then i guess. i think there'd be two scenarios where you probably know you're not getting the advice Ooh, you want this sounds good and this is only my view <laughs> but i i think if your advisor isn't yeah. proactive and isn't on the ball and, and yeah. sort of yeah, you're doing the legwork then I'd question whether they would also be picking up on risks and opportunities for you sure yeah um and, and there's a gut feel if it feels yeah. too good to be true then it possibly is yeah, so okay. in in both of those scenarios I would shake shake things up a bit and get a secondary um yeah. view uh, okay it, it, it does no harm and it probably costs nothing yeah okay um that's great is there anything else that sort of we haven't covered R&D tax relief wise that we could sort of talk about that comes up i'm conscious of time Stephen, and, and we haven't touched on <laughs> patent box yet so i think i think i should stop talking <laughs> okay you're right let's do that and you know before i think we should tell the listeners that you said you sent me an email saying you didn't think you could uh, you could make the you could be interesting for an hour well there you go you're easily gonna do that <laughs> Who, who's judging interesting well yeah yeah there, there is that as well yeah <laughs> i'm saying nothing um okay pattern box i i kind of feel like we could follow the same arc through pattern box as we've sort of followed through r&d tax credits which is to sort of start by asking the question of a specialist adv advisor and then going on to sort of like just describing in general what it is and then we can talk about how people can engage with it there's something interesting there i think in that there'll be people out there who've got patents and could engage with it and there'll be people out there who have not yet got patents but might well be able to engage with it but let's start at the beginning which is is it worth getting a specialist advisor on this so patent box compared to r d is definitely a minority sport in yeah. that many, many that. companies, uh, the R&D regime works regardless of whether you're profitable, whether you're, um, yeah. you know, there's, whereas there are many, many things that prevent a patent box claim, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Um, and if I set out the what what do I look for for a company to benefit, they would need to be holding or you know, patents filed or pending or, or granted. Yeah. Uh, they need to be profitable because it is just a tax rate yeah. benefit. Um, and, and so I've seen companies spend a lot of time looking at it and then realize that they've got a big one-off pension deduction or a big tax losses forward, something that yeah. means that you know the cash value isn't there. Um, and and then because we had a change in rules uh, back in 2016, you need to be much more careful on your setup for patent box. Okay. Uh, and what I mean by that is for a claim to work, you need a, a single legal entity, not a group. So a single company yeah. that has an IP right, so holds okay. the patent or has an exclusive license to the patent. It yeah. needs to do the R&D or, or most of the R&D also. Um, yep. and it needs to be generating the income. Right. And and so when you look at a traditional setup where you've got your group holding company, you put your IP ownership up there to protect it against any yep. legal challenge, and yep. then you've got your R&D happening over elsewhere, over elsewhere. Yep. You, you've, you've failed before you've started. Yeah, it seems like it's it's never quite worked. It doesn't. I mean, I guess it's an, a whole other discussion about what is a successful tax policy um but it, if you if you were measuring it by engagement um then r&d tax credit obviously it successful on that measure alone but patent boxes never really as a patent attorney there was a big song and dance made about it when it first came in and then nothing happened I've, i have not seen a single case which has really sort of had the patent box at its heart or or anything like that. no tick in in filings or anything like that and i think statistically there were there was some evidence of an uptick on sort of uh, uk filings early on but when that was just sort of looking at the numbers and seeing what you want to see um i have seen i've obviously seen a lot of claims uh and Mm -hmm. for the right business where you've got a good profit margin and a nice patent profile patent um, you know um portfolio uh it, it the benefit from patent box will dwarf the r&d claim year on year right. uh but but right. it, it's one for um it doesn't suit all it, it if you're a low margin business it won't work just because of the mechanics of it and, and the calculation is a lot more complicated and it sort of stems from your tax computation so yeah. for a, so you don't get people dabbling in it typically you need to understand you know how the accounts work how the tax computation works yeah. and then the the patent box calculation is an overlay to those so um i i, I for, for the right business where patents are important anyway commercially yeah. and and they've got a good success story you know the future is looking rosy margins are looking um promising or are promising already it can be fantastic um, yeah. but otherwise uh, i would quickly rule it out yeah i mean it's probably not fulfilling the brief that that it was intended to fulfill then so in... so, so we have it because you don't want a scenario where you fund all the r&d you have the clever people and then when the business goes to commercialize they go offshore so that right. that's what it protects against and that was okay. happening and that was the threat and I've actually seen it motivate and incentivize business to come to the UK because okay. of one one of a number of measures. It, a ten percent tax rate is very attractive. Yep. But that's the minority, not yeah. um, the majority. Okay. Uh, and you touched on the ten percent tax rate, so that might be a good time to sort of explain what it is and, in general, sort of how how it works. Yeah. So. Uh, companies pay tax at 19% currently. That was going to increase to 25. Yeah. It's now back Not to 19. <laughs> Very topical. <laughs> if you're listening to this in 2025, there was a bit of a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all fine now? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's hope so, yeah. <laughs> um, so so instead of paying 19%, you would broadly pay 10%. Um, yeah. And you slice up the pie, the, the profit of the business, by identifying um, it what income is generated via exploit exploiting patents 
So yeah. if you're a let's go automotive, you've got a, a patented wing mirror of your car, the whole car, the profit from the whole car qualifies. Yeah. The regime is generous in that way. Um, if you have a, a technology platform and you have patented aspects of that, so patented underlying patents underlying within the system. And, yep. and that's the platform that delivers your benefit. You know, you see it a lot in financial services, insurance, those sorts of things. Then yep. possibly all of your income is generated via exploitation of patented, patented yep. patents and patented technology. Um, so it, it's sort of about working out well, where do your patents sit? What do they protect? And how does that correlate to the income you generate? And, yeah, and that's where the complication lies, isn't it? Because it's actually that calculation is not easy. It, there used to be like an easy route and a difficult route, right? There used to be sort of like one way you could kind of just say, well, we'll just take that number and let's forget all the all the difficult <laughs> uh, calculations. And then there's another much more detailed one. Is, is that still the case? Uh, so there are some simplifications for smaller businesses. Okay. And, it, and it's more straightforward if your patent protects your product as opposed to a system. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you've got yeah if you've got a process pumps then that's much harder yeah um, but yeah year one is painful but the positive yes. on patent box is once you've worked all of that out and you've got a claim you roll it forward and it you know year on year and assuming there's no substantial yeah. change in the business and your income streams it's very easy to repeat and therefore take it house yeah yeah okay um so you said before and let me think if we sort of covered covered it there we've covered everything haven't we really which is it's sort of you need you get you're getting tax relief so you're dropping from 19 percent um to to 10 percent uh but only for profits that are attributable to patented technology or that are attributable to a patent if you didn't have the patent then they wouldn't be there is yeah. that the intention yes yes um, but you said that there's sort of certain businesses it works really really well for um and i guess if there are businesses sat there, how much of this can they think about themselves and then sort of think, well, OK, we we seem to fit these criteria. So let's now pick up the phone, talk to Angela. Or should they just day one? It's too complicated. Just pick up the phone and I'll tell you. So I think you can have a really good conversation if a company had a list of their patents. Yep. And then perhaps um, a split of turnover by project, product, whatever it is, some sort of split. Yeah. And I, I would always sort it largest to smallest. And then sort of uh, the conversation is, well, for your largest income stream and the product, the largest ge income generating product, is there a pattern? And it's yeah. that sort of and getting a sense for the coverage um, is very helpful. And then you can apply some very simple assumptions on their numbers and their margins um, it's a back of fag packet calculation yeah and you can spend half an hour and decide this this doesn't work you know go away come back when profits improved or when you know when something's changed um so there's i think it's those two bits of information really. and then the sense check of making sure you know where that the r&d is happening in the same entity and and for a business starting yeah. up tomorrow um I, and i've had conversations say look just make sure your r&d is in the same company as the patent filings, which probably should be the case from a patent law perspective anyway. Um, yeah. And and that that company then needs to generate income in some way. So when those things are happening, you know, when money lets, lets kind of age. Yeah, so that, okay. that very early setup is, is key. Uh, other than that, uh, I wouldn't, unless the numbers are strong, I wouldn't put for the sake of patent box and uh, be no. caught by anti-avoidance anyway. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it has changed behaviour. It has helped some organizations to encourage their inventors to file more which is you know a win-win for everybody yeah but it, it it's uh it, it hasn't um, budgeted to pay out has not been spent um certainly the last statistics yeah. so it probably hasn't been quite as successful as hoped yeah yeah i guess there's there is that point though about what 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 is success for these things but um but yeah certainly in terms of take up it just doesn't seem to have been been used anywhere anywhere near as much no. yeah Okay, so um, so if we've got those two um entities again, then we're thinking first of all about that startup. Essentially, they need to have patent. Obviously, that would be a, <laughs> a very simple first uh, indicator. But some profit as well. So don't even think about it until you're doing that. And then there's kind of some structuring that would it would make sense if they were interested in in claiming the relief, just to make sure that they were not um excluding themselves from it by without realizing it yes yes yeah. and so let, let's imagine because these things can be shifted around right i mean 
if you so how how would that be dealt with let's imagine i came to you and and it turns out that my structure was was not right because the the revenue was generated by one entity the patents were held somewhere else and then i said well, okay let's change all that and we'll put it all in the same place and then i'll make the claim again how how would that be dealt with so the revenue accept that you may need to restructure to make this work so that sort of okay. um, that's not frowned upon um, yeah. And it is definitely possible. You could exclusively license the intellectual property to the company did the ownership and that might yeah. fix it. You could move your, you know, I guess R&D is harder to move around. Um, yeah. If the company owns the intellectual property and has um, invested in its creation, then arguably that company should be generating income anyway. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe your transfer pricing and your intra-group pricing needs sorting out. Uh, the, and the only downside is that until you sort it out, we're going to benefit. Yeah. And there's so, a cost of sorting it out that needs to be offset against the, yes. the benefit of using the, the, the regime. Yeah. So if you can get it right on day one or early on, whilst, you know, costs are small and things yeah. are simpler, uh, that's nice. Okay. Um, so can we finish up with any sort of um, common pitfalls, horror stories that you've got, anything like that? difficult one on this one isn't it because it's kind of like you know you wouldn't go into it and unless you fairly well knew that it was going to be successful are are many turned down in terms of the claims (laughs) so uh, the the revenue have challenged i've seen them challenge on um so a a scenario where you're licensing your intellectual property from another group company and it needs to be an exclusive license for a specific field and I've seen okay. challenge and disagreement on that, but but um, common sense has generally prevailed. Um, I've seen really awful calculations, but that's, you know, somebody putting in all of their turnover as in income rather than profit. Um, so don't, okay. don't do that. That doesn't <laughs> land very well. <laughs> um, yeah. Other than that, I think it's, uh, I think, a, a pragmatic approach of a value estimate early on to work out are you wasting your time and is this something you should move on yeah. from and spend your time elsewhere in the business or is the value and then kind of a, a clear route through it uh, and some yeah. advice some advice early on uh, and and then sort of hopefully if ability is there it is definitely worth the in the right circumstance but that triaging is, is that's probably the best bit of advice you've got is is yeah. just sort of like take some time to find out whether it's relevant to you but either discount it and move on or, or take the time to yeah and the only th- other thing that i've mentioned steve before we finish um, and i must mention this because it's coming on the horizon for r&d claims if you haven't yep. made a claim before um then you uh, or in the last three years so you're a new claimant the yep. revenue you are proposing that from april next year you need to make an advance notification so right. six six months within six months of the end of the accounting period that you want to claim for, you need to have, a, uh, have notified. Otherwise, you're out of time. And, and that's a big change because historically and to, to date, you've had two years to make that election. Um, mm, so why, uh, do, why have they done that, do you think? It's, oh, to, that... it's, it's <laughs> to prevent naughtiness and it's to prevent um, a, a cowboy R&D boutique coming along and saying, hey, we think you do R&D. Let's put three years claims in, um, you know, but sort of. retrospectively it stops that but unfortunately it disadvantages an sme genuinely doing r&d that just haven't heard about quickly enough okay all right well that's been brilliant i think it's it's interesting because the amount of time we spent talking about r&d tax relief compared to patent box probably is reflective of the usefulness uh to smes of uh, in a broad sense anyway of, of each of each regime yeah, I think cash is really important at that stage in your yeah. business. And so I would nail your R&D claims, make sure you've set yourself up appropriately if patent box works later on, but don't don't spend time until there's good value. Great, loads of useful stuff in there. Um, and so if people want to reach out to you, find you, where's the best place to get hold of you? Um, so probably the website's easiest. So yeah. Um, brightrd.com or yep. by yourself steve yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and always happy to have a chat and, and help yeah that's great um and uh thanks very much for coming on i really appreciate it it's um, been a pleasure and yeah, great and to the listeners thanks for listening um and we'll uh we'll see you next time